people who come after you are usually very unhappy people and they want to make the other people unhappy so learn to be proud of who you are and and be you know enjoy your life and not try to live someone else's life In this episode, we'll be talking with Ryoko and Naomi about the Japanese internment camps and their cultural identity. Hi, everyone. This is Alina here, and this is our 16th episode, I believe. I don't know why I never know the numbers.、Um, and I am here with a very special guest,、uh, Miss Ryoko and her daughter, Naomi. And today we are going to be talking about her experience. In the Japanese internment camp shortly, as well as her experience now and kind of her cultural identity. And I'm very excited. This is going to be a very fun episode.、Um, learn a lot. And so, yeah, Ryoko and Naomi, do you guys want to introduce yourselves? My name is Ryoko Ward,、uh, niece Saito, and I was born in 1941. I'm Naomi Weiner, and I'm Ryoko's daughter. I grew up in Vancouver, where my mother is living now, or just outside of Vancouver. And、um, I've lived in, in New York, Tokyo, and now I'm living in Texas. Awesome. Okay, so with that being said, I guess we can kind of get a little started. Like,、um, so Ryoko, would you like to give a general overview of your story or experience? Anything you would like to share, kind of to just get us started?、Um, anything that you kind of mentioned before works as well. Okay.、Um, my grandfather、uh, came to Canada in 1907. 1907, and uh,、um, he was only about 18 years old because、uh, he had、uh, problems with his family. His father was a drinker, and um, um, he uh, started a farm. He had massed a big farm in a place called Pet Meadows, just a suburb of Vancouver, and he was doing well, really well. And then he had seven children, six boys and one girl, and his oldest son, who is my father. Um, um, Uh, married a woman from Japan, but all the kids, his kids, went to school here in in Canada, in Vancouver. I'm from Vancouver, um, uh, and I was born in Vancouver, and my dad was born in North Vancouver, and、uh, he was born in 1916. And、uh, my mother came from Japan. They married in 1939, and uh,、um, she was born in 1920 in、uh, Yokohama. We、uh, we were interned in 1942-43. To we had we all the Japanese from the war had to get out of、um, uh, the coast. We had to go 100 to 300 miles away from the coast, and so we chose to stay in in、uh, British Columbia. And we went to a place called Westwoldfold first, and we lost. We couldn't keep anything, but. Uh, we were able to take cars because we had people who would drive them up for us and things like that. You had three choices as Japanese when the war broke out. You could take the last boats to Japan. You can go into concentration camps, which were parks in the city and stuff like that. You know, with barns and they lived in barns where the horses and all that were. Or you had you're on your own and you had to survive on your own, but you have to get away. 300 miles away from the coast, so we went to Kamloops, and then from Kamloops, I、um, I went、um, I stayed there till 1949, and then we、uh, we were allowed to come back to the coast in 1949. So I was in grade two, so we came back here、uh, to the coast, and I went to school in、uh, Surrey, 
and uh, um, live there. Yeah, no, that's wonderful. So uh, how old were you at, the, at that time when you were leaving the coast, you said? Uh, two years, I mean, grade two. So I was about eight, well, what is it, eight, seven, eight? No, yeah. eight years, yeah. Well, actually, when she left the coast, when they were required to go 100 miles inland, she was only six months old. And then yeah. when she came back to the coast, she was in grade two. Oh, wow. Okay, so you were very, very young during this time. Um, yes. So I don't have recall that much. It's just, you know, um, you know, it was just things my family. I know that my mother talked about living when they first headed up to uh, uh, this uh, 300 miles away. They had to live in a little town outside and it was very cold, really cold. It was like, um, uh, well, uh, minus uh, 10, 20 uh, Celsius, wow. I guess. But um, I guess in uh, Fahrenheit, it's a lot more. And uh, we had just tar paper homes to live in. So it was just very cold and and they had to hunt for food and things like that to, you know, and they weren't accepted in the town right away. We had to wait to be accepted into the town of Kamloops. But um, uh, we we had some friends there. If there was Japanese people that lived in, in the interior, which is about 300 miles in, they never had to move or anything. It's just the people on the coast because they were afraid of what we might have connection to. Yeah. Japan, because Japan was invade, trying to invade North America. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, uh, just to give our audience a little uh, context, this was, uh, I believe, after World War II, you mentioned. So kind of in at the time of when Japan had uh, had an influence in the war. And so that kind of caused a lot of, um, I guess, conflict between the communities, the Japanese community, as well as um, Canada and America as well. I know America especially had a lot of uh, conflict between Japan because of like Pearl Harbor. So um, your experience, were you ever, did you ever feel culturally divided almost, uh, kind of like an outsider because you were Japanese and it felt like with the internment camps, they were trying to kind of box you in. Did you ever feel that way at all? No, I don't recall any of that, you know. Um, I know that I was aware that I had an uncle who uh, graduated from uh, school in 1939, and my grandmother, had, uh, with the scholarship money, she sent him to the University of Tokyo, but he was a Canadian citizen. They wouldn't send her back, and that caused a lot of stress in our family, you know, because this one Minoru and Japan used him and he got killed over there so she never ever saw him again you know so she was uh, that was what was uh, uh, you know most in her mind at the time and I don't recall we ha I had real nice neighbors in Kamloops who accepted us and sold us land and we were able to uh, farm uh, do a tomato farm there and our family was hardworking and we grew tomatoes and strawberries and things like that a lot of vegetables and so, um, but I don't recall doing any of that work. I recall more doing it out here in Surrey where uh, we moved back when we moved to the coast. Yeah, no, uh, Naomi, do you have anything to add or? Oh, I was, I, I was gonna say that 1942, I, I believe it was one of the coldest winters and it might still be one of the coldest winters in that region on record. Oh, wow. And they were living in, in tar paper houses and my mother recalls my grandmother being talking about it and saying how they had to chip the the frost off the windows in the, wow 
they were living in. I mean, my mother was too small to remember this, but my grandmother only passed away two years ago. And uh, she, she spoke a lot about little things that had happened. I mean, she um, wasn't, wasn't one to um, tell long stories about it. She wanted to look at life in a very positive attitude and go yeah. forward more than harp on, on the hardships of the past. But she definitely would mention things like um, that she remembered that, that were interesting to her. Yeah. No, completely. I mean, and so Ryoko, do you have any significant memories or anything you would like to share in regards to your experience? Um, it can just be anything that you would like to mention, I guess. Well, when I first came back to Esposo Elementary School in grade two, uh, I was just mobbed because they hadn't seen an Asian ever. None of them ever seen an Asian. And they wanted to touch my face and touch my eyes and touch my hair. They they wanted me to talk all the time and I wouldn't say much because I was scared because they were just, I kept walking around like a mob around me, you know, because they, because uh, I, I was a novelty, I guess. And the only time I was, well, I, I got relieved of that because uh, Gary Green, the black boy moved in. And he was more important than I was. <laughs> and um, it was str strange how people were at that time compared to what we are like now, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, completely. I mean, that's definitely a unique experience. Um, for me, as I mentioned uh, before we started recording, I'm there's not a large South Asian population where I live, but I mean, your experience with that is very unique. And definitely more um on a larger scale so how was that for you i mean being the only uh, asian girl at your school and how the your classmates never really saw an asian person before and they were so fascinated by it i mean how did you feel personally for that i guess i i i i was scared at times at the very beginning but then you kind of feel like you're important maybe <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah totally and uh, eight years old you all these emotions are hard to uh you know put in perspective i guess and uh but within time i i there was other asians with as the years went by that moved in there so but there was you know uh probably in the school if there was five most I think at a time you know through through my um you know all through grade 12 I guess so yeah no that's that's very interesting I've that's such an interesting experience I've never really heard anyone with that experience before so that's very fascinating to hear about um and so after your time in uh, second grade and this was located where sorry I didn't catch that what was that uh, where exactly was this, lo where were you located at this time? I didn't really uh, catch that part. Uh, it, it's uh, Surrey, which is a suburb of Vancouver, you know. It's, okay. It's right by the U.S. border right now, you know, this uh, where we uh, cross over the border. It's, just, it's right by the border. So they chose that area because it was a fertile farming area. Mm -hmm. And my grandparents and great-grandparents were farmers. So they were strawberry, tomato, asparagus, um, I mean, a, a number of things. Strawberries and tomatoes were the main things that they were farming. So the areas that they selected were chosen for that particular reason. Okay, yeah, that makes that makes sense. I mean, uh, where I live in Idaho, it's definitely, uh, it's farmland. Agriculture is a big, a big part here. So um, how long did you live in Surrey for? Um, do you 
until I was uh, 18, I guess, um, um, 1959, um, I came to Vancouver and lived in Vancouver. Um, uh, you know, I worked, I didn't go to uh, university or anything. I worked, uh, it, money was scarce, so uh, the boys got first chance at uh, uh, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> And I had two brothers, you see, so, and I had uncles who were very young and they were going to university too. You know, my uncle, uh, two, two of my uncles, one is uh, uh, t 10 years older than me and the other one's 12 years older than me, so. They, oh, wow, yeah. So yeah. very close in age, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so you mentioned that when you were younger, it was, you kind of felt like you were the only Asian girl in your school, so. Now that you're older, how has that changed? How ha have you embraced your Japanese culture? I know I briefly talked with your granddaughter, Emily, about how your name was Coke and then you changed it to Ryoko. Do you want to speak a little bit on that? Um, I think uh, uh, for, uh, in 1962, I married um, my husband, Rusty, and uh, he, you know, he was English, Irish, and French. And uh, um, I... Um, I had, I sort of lived in a very white world and I didn't have much Japanese influence on me because for some reason when you're married when I was married to him I most of my friends were Caucasians and uh, I had uh, very few Japanese friends you know so uh, and I lived in a, a farming community out in Surrey where there wasn't that many Japanese to socialize with. I mean, in Vancouver, we'd come to the odd Japanese part uh, dances in Vancouver, but uh, I didn't have that much exposure to uh, Japanese and then being married to Rusty, which sort of, you know, uh, separated me. And I, I was probably, I never felt any um, real discrimination. I was sort of accepted. It. And when I was thinking back, maybe it's because I was married to him that um and he had a business he had an automotive business and he had a towing so his name was plastered all over his tow trucks and and uh, we had gas stations and uh you know and so um i think naomi you probably uh enjoyed some um uh you know because he was known in the community right he was known it wasn't always good because my <laughs> company that still exists in Vancouver and um, a lot of people and, and he had very large trucks at one point he owned homes trucking in Canada and he built very large tow trucks so it was um, his name was all over the place it was yeah. at schools there were signs at every in the airport still you see Rusty's towing and so we had a benefit of um, people connecting us to this, this business. And um, it, was, it was not a bad thing. It was um, a little bit of respect from the community. And we um, kind of had a good life. I mean, he, he definitely had a, a good business. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that, that makes complete sense. I mean, I find as a person of color living in a racially homogenous area, um, my father and my mother are pretty well known in my town. So there is definitely a lot of privilege that comes with kind of being well known in your area. I mean, people do respect you in that sense. 
Um, but yeah, no, that's, that, that's definitely very interesting. And so he had a towing company. And so what was your experience like, I guess, uh, you mentioned, well, while married to your husband, you mentioned it was very kind of like a whitewashed world. Um, how did you kind of take yourself out of that and become more and like embrace more of your Japanese culture and your identity? Um, like you say, I didn't do, uh, did that. Um, um, I wasn't, you want, one of the questions there were you accepted by or, uh, I wasn't really accepted. My uh, father-in-law, he was English and he, uh, didn't, uh, objected to me. He wouldn't even speak to me. And he used to tell me that the English were the superior race in the world, you know, and, um, he was that type of person. He was a little bit racist, right, Naomi? Yeah. And, <laughs> and uh, they intimidated me a lot that's where I got most of my um, you know they made fun of me and uh, uh, they more or less uh, everything I did was you know they would say I was stupid or you know um, not very bright or they would just laugh at little things I did right to my face and I wasn't the type to get my mother always said it takes two to fight and if you don't participate there is no fight you know, and I always, somewhere along the way, I learned that you can't fix other people's minds, you know, and you have to, you don't own what other people are thinking. There's a lot more going on in their life if they're, if they're trying to intimidate you. So I realized that um, I learned to be happy on my own and I ignored them. And in the end, you know, um, they couldn't ignore me. I, I was, I ended up being stronger than them. So I was able to get past all that, you know? So it was, it was easier. And then, um, yeah, it, uh, my kids were in swim club and I had a few people who, it seemed to be uh, very English people, you know, <laughs> that mm -hmm. did that to me. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. Uh, and, uh, and they even had English accents, some of them, you know, and they, oh, really? <laughs> they resented the fact that my husband had a business and I was able to do more for the swim club and uh, they would take it out, you know, try to take it out on me. But I learned to ignore that, you know, and those are the only really racist things that I really, you know, it was my family and that. But if you don't argue back, you don't have a fight with them. And so I'm able to communicate with my sister-in-law still to this day, you know, even though she, how mean she was, but she was young then. She was, you know, in her late teens and early twenties at the time. So. Yeah, no, that's definitely a very um, saddening experience, but you've definitely, like from what I've seen, you've definitely uh, kind of grown from that. And <laughs> I, I think what you said is very powerful to me because as a Japanese woman, you were married to a white man and their family didn't accept you and you, and what your mother said about how it takes two to fight and you just kind of overcame that because you really, at the end of the day, were the bigger person, I think is very, a valuable lesson that uh, a lot of people should take from that. Um, so was your husband very supportive in a sense, or did he ever kind of combat the negativity that his family kind of portrayed on you at all? Um, he protected me. You know, he, but he said, he used to tell me that he got intimidated by them. They made fun of him too. So they were that kind of family and I didn't realize that. And he left home when he was 16 uh, to get away from his uh, parents. But um, um, yeah, he, I was telling my daughter earlier, um, 
he saw the movie Tea House of the August Moon uh, when, when he was young, before he met me. And he thought, ah, I'm going to marry a Japanese girl <laughs> like that. <laughs> and so he pursued me. And of course, my mom wanted me to date Japanese boys, uh, you know, because she could speak to their family and that. And, and um, um, she was very disappointed that I, I would continue going out with him. But uh, yeah, he, he was adamant in marrying a Japanese girl because he wanted to get on with his life. He wanted to settle down, get married, have kids and get on with his life. And he decided this Japanese girl was going to be the one. <laughs> and, and I couldn't fight it, I guess, you know, but I've had a good life. And he was, he was very loyal at times, you know, and, you know, most of the time. And he was, you know, he was a great father, wasn't he? He was an excellent father. He was an excellent. Yeah, father. he loved he loved his kids more. I, I, I uh, yeah, he would do anything for his kids, and that was the key to me, you know. So, but he was he loved to go hunting and fishing, and you know he went gold mining at one time, and you know it. it he was a very adventuresome person. He loved looking for new adventure and he did search them out so he was an interesting person to be married to you know? yeah 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 no definitely i mean so you mentioned that your mother wanted you to marry a japanese boy i understand how that is i mean my um grandmother was kind of the same way with her her daughters and and so it's it's definitely uh that generation is definitely the same way so did your family kind of uh not accept the fact that you were married to your husband or were they supportive? I mean, it seems now that it's, it's kind of. Uh, my mother cried at first and my dad wondered, she, he, he said, I only seen you date Japanese boys. What happened to them? And I said, you know, there were so many Japanese, nice Japanese girls that I had to compete for these boys. And I never got the ones I liked. <laughs> so, <laughs> and all of a sudden this, this Caucasian guy came and he was just pursuing me. And uh, you know, the Japanese boys, you more or less had to pursue them. So I sort of, you know, fell towards him more. I mean, <laughs> nice to be wanted, right? Yeah, exactly. I was going to say, it's, it's honestly the same thing, same thing now, if I'm being completely honest. Yeah. Uh, at least I've noticed that. I mean, it seems like the white boys were more willing to like pursue women of color than the, me the men of color themselves. So that's, that's very funny that we've had very similar experiences with that. Right. Um, yeah. uh, so, yes. Yeah, so Emily, do you have, or sorry, not Emily, the name is Emily there. And Naomi, do you have anything to add? <laughs> yeah. Um, I guess, you know, both of the, both of my grandparents struggled with the marriage and it was in 1962. And at the time, I mean, in the United States, there were parts of the U.S. where it would have been completely illegal for them to get married. And so it was a difficult time, but eventually both sides accepted it. And I think the Japanese side accepted it sooner than, and, and wholeheartedly than the white side and um but but my i look at my white grandparents and i grew up with a wonderful relationship with them i don't have any really terrible feelings there are incidents where there were um some racist things that happened but nothing nothing that ruined my relationship with them. And I also have to say that my mother, as her mother taught her to be forgiving and not fight with people, passed it on through me. And hopefully that's something that I can pass on to my children to be forgiving and 
and move on and not pick fights with people. Yeah, completely. I find, I find, I guess the biggest gift you can kind of give yourself is just forgiving other people. And it's very, and honestly, it's very damaging if you hold grudges or kind of have this hatred for people because you can't really move forward. And I'm still learning to do that. So uh, I take every little thing, but, um, but I think that's definitely something that I went through this conversation. Um, so I guess kind of moving back towards um, the experience in the internment camps, do you have any significant memories or stories that your mother shared with you, Ryoko, that you kind of stood out for you or would like to add? Um, I think that uh, with them, because we had this rancher in Kamloops who sold us a property, you know, I mean, I know the kids, uh, my uncles couldn't go to school right away because they weren't accepted. And um, um, they, uh, uh, but there was that one family who, he was a big rancher, a very wealthy rancher who owned quite a bit of property. And he liked my dad and, you know, he liked the Japanese. And so we were able to, you know, have a, a thriving farm there. And, uh, and, and I was allowed to walk in and out of our, his house, he had a huge house with swimming pool and everything in the, in the 40s, you know, and though there was frogs in the pool, <laughs> I remember that. <laughs> and, um, you know, um, I remember playing at their place, even when they were still in bed, I'd go up early in the morning. Sometimes one time I got gum in my hair, one of the boys put gum in my hair and the artist Kate went uh, to her mother's bedroom. The mom and dad are still sleeping in their bed and, and they're saying, look what, what Roger did, what gum in Ryoko's hair. <laughs> and Aww. I felt really bad, they're in bed still. <laughs> So, you know, we were allowed to go, and so they were very uh, nice. Unfortunately, he was killed in a uh, car crash. uh, That's horrible. Yeah, on on the way to uh, Vancouver one time. So, and uh, yeah, I would have thanked him because I had a very good life with him. And it's it's, uh, some of the good people in the world that uh, you have to be grateful for, and I am. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. completely. And I think it's, yeah, go ahead, Naomi, sorry. I was going to say, Mom, what was his name? A uh, Reg Hook. So this Reg Hook really made a huge difference in my grandfather's life because people were not willing to sell land to the Japanese and he sold land in a very fertile area that really mattered, um, as an area of land that my grandfather needed. with immigrants we have so many different immigrants you know and in my apartment um i think the white people are the only people that speak a different language but um (laughs) uh, the immigrants because they had to fight to get over here i remember the hungarian immigrants even you know all those polish immigrants that came over at first and then you know the east indians and the taiwan um the vietnamese and all those people they they had a fighting instinct inside them that they, today there are doctors and our lawyers and our professional people. I look all around me. Uh, we have uh, the head of UBC is a Japanese fellow, uh, Dr. Santos Ono. And, and uh, you know, um, there are, and there are politicians all over. 
I've never seen so many. And when you look at, we're having an election on October the 24th. I have never seen so many diverse people uh, running for political office and it's wonderful. And they're smart and they have so much to give. I think the, so the, the immigrants that came to Canada were more energetic. And, and when you used to go to school, when I used to watch uh, my children when they graduated, uh, there was mostly Chinese there, wasn't there, in your school? And um, there were, well, it was becoming more and more. Are you talking about, I, I think more so the grandchildren. There are a lot of Chinese. When I graduated, there were um, not so many. But, but Vancouver had a huge influx of, of Hong Kong Chinese and mainland Chinese, and the population is, is large. But Vancouver is incredibly diverse. The election is a provincial election, right? Yeah. Yes, just in BC. But what I was going to say about the high school is that, I mean, out of the 10 people that went up, maybe one was white <laughs> to, for all the awards, you know, <laughs> all the academic awards. Yes. Right? <laughs> no, and that's what... and everything. And I thought, wow, <laughs> you know, they really uh, uh, work hard to get where, you know, Ethnic people work really hard to get where they want. Completely. Yeah. yeah. And I think it's very, it's actually very to me what something that just stood out while you were speaking was it's interesting to see where your experience in your grand granddaughters and your daughter's experience has kind of overlapped in a sense where you, when you were in school, you were the only East Asian woman in your school. But now you look at your granddaughter and your daughter and it's so much more diverse. And I think that's, that's so beautiful to me. I don't know. I think that's very wonderful. And I completely agree. I think immigrants, minorities, they work so hard because they know they need to survive in this world. And my parents, grandparents, same experience. My father came from nothing. He lived in Pakistan and he moved here. He graduated medical school and now he's a doctor and my mother works in government. So it's similar experiences, but that's honestly beautiful. And I love to see this kind of I guess, uh, almost improvement and kind of change through these generations on how, where we've come to now. So that's really beautiful to me. Yeah, well, one of my cousins uh, was a heart surgeon and uh, he worked with Christian Bernard in, in uh, Africa, you know, and he, wow. they were doing heart transplants and that. Well, he's in his 90s now, but, you know, he, it's, you know, Dr. Robert Miyagishma was his name, or still is, he's still alive, but, you know, <laughs> um, yeah, uh, you know, the immigrants just, you know, uh, have have uh, just moved up in the world, and they they they're hard working people. And I know um, I have a relative in Panama City who hates the immigrants, and they're taking everything. And I, you know, I have to hold back and say, you know, and I argue with her a little bit, but I, I have to ask Naomi, am I saying the right thing? Because oh. <laughs> I don't want to criticize other people because everybody yeah. is entitled to their opinion and it's okay. Completely. Yeah. yeah. I find living in a more conservative area, it's kind of the same case where at the end of the day, like kind of what you said earlier, it's like you have to pick and choose your battles really and whether it's worth like arguing with someone over this. And really it comes from a place of misunderstanding, I think. So uh, definitely. And Naomi, do you want to add anything? Uh, I mean, it's just lately things have, have just escalated to such an uncomfortable um, point. It's just, yeah, 
it's hard to really comment on it without becoming too political and I just <laughs> <laughs> no I'm the same way I can't I can't hold myself back when I get into politics right. um but to but, say like yeah. Canada has done a, a wonderful job I mean it, not for everybody but I definitely look at Canada and I'm very proud that I come from Canada and yeah look at their um the what they've done for immigrants and even with the Syrian immigrants that came in very recently Canadians are much more open to it and and are looking for the future you know the future of canada is much more positive because of the immigrants that they're bringing in yeah they're accepted much more here uh, it's, it's almost frightening i i'm scared to set foot in the u.s right now for fear yeah. of what to expect because um the people here are much more accepting of everything yeah. you know mm -hmm. and it's strange so my yeah. mother had a very good experience. I mean, she's not an immigrant. She was born in Canada. Yeah. But, um, her experience in general was was fine, but she's been affected by the Chinese immigration. That people have often grouped her as an yeah. immigrant because she looks Asian, and I think that that has definitely been something that um, has bothered her, and it's unfortunate. In Vancouver, there there is racism and bigotry, and um, people who are just unwilling to be accepting of of the immigration. But it's a minority in comparison to the people that are accepting of them. Yeah, yeah. And also, uh, after my husband passed away, I more or less embraced more Japanese things. I I spend more time with. I, I like to learn more, especially when I was work, uh, volunteering at the seniors and learning all the stories from the seniors and and uh, I really enjoyed that. You know, I mean they're in lockdown still, but um, and then being across, I can go across the street to the culture center and learn all about everything that I didn't know about. You know, and and I am embracing the Japanese culture more. They're more. Um, you asked me once in, in there uh, on that sheet that um, uh, what did I like about the Japanese or what did I take? Um, I think that um, they're not, well, I wouldn't say you lived in Japan, but I feel the Japanese here because of what they've been through, uh, they're, they're more accepting of so many things. They don't, uh, you know, they, they don't, uh, um, argue that much. I, I, it's hard. The words are coming into my head right now. <laughs> you're, you're totally fine. Yeah. Uh -huh. The Japanese are not confrontational people. And yeah. I believe that, especially the ones that. So my mother um, lives in an area of Vancouver, it's called Burnaby, in an area that a Nikkei Cultural Center was built on. And next to the Nikkei Cultural Center, there's a community center and there's a retirement home that was originally built for the Japanese that had been interned. And it was, oh, wow. it caters to Japanese people. So the, the um, menu for all of the food is Japanese. There's some Western food, but uh, you can retire somewhere and, and retire on a diet of Japanese food. So. Uh, my mother and my grandmother was in that home for many years, and my mother volunteered there up until March of this year. Oh, wow. No, I think it's wonderful that, um, I don't think the U.S. has anything like that, but it's wonderful that you guys have an area specifically catered to your community that makes you feel comfortable 
when you're retiring in an area that you're familiar with and like you kind of get to experience. So, I mean, I know uh, Emily briefly mentioned Ryoku that you were kind of uh, helped contribute to the museum in your area and other things. How has that kind of helped you and how have you benefited from, I guess, helping out with like um, educating people on like Japanese culture and you yourself learning about it? Um, do you want to speak a little bit about that? Well, um, I think it's just seniors. Um, um, there are so many stories. Some of them have gone through a lot. I mean, we didn't suffer much in the interim, but there are some seniors who, especially they went to the prairies and they had a horrible life, you know? They didn't have any money and uh, some of them can't even talk about it because it was so brutal for them. And so, um, there is a, a there was a play called the Tashme Project, which I learned a lot. I'm learning a lot about the Japanese culture that I didn't know what some of them went through, and uh, you know it's it's interesting. My father was a great contributor to the culture center. We when the Japanese um, got twenty thousand each if you were born before 1950 and you were affected by the war, which a lot of them donated that money to build this culture center, you see. And so, um, yeah, the government of Canada gave every Japanese that was affected by the war $20,000 to, you know, and I, it helped some of them a lot, you know. But my dad contributed his to the um, culture center and, and uh, helped build that. The reparations were paid probably around 1989. Is that right? Do you, in the in the late 80s they were paid mm -hmm. shortly after the U.S. paid the reparations yeah. to the Japanese that were interned in in America, and um, it was a it was definitely a struggle for my grandfather to accept the twenty thousand dollars yeah. in place of the acres and acres of land that was taken from them and all of the things that they lost. Well, my family had. Um, created very good relationships with their neighbors and they were very fortunate to have people store their belongings for them but they did lose a lot during um, during uh, 1941 and 1942 um, but yeah my grandfather eventually accepted the $20,000 that was paid and he was part of a group of people that got together and decided to build this cultural center and he donated his $20,000 directly there. I think that's honestly very wonderful to hear that. I mean, I find especially in the Asian community, um, when we are given something, we really like to give it back, I think, and we're very hesitant on accepting things. And I think that's truly like a very, and I feel like there's a theme of being like the bigger person here, but there's definitely, I feel like your grandfather definitely did kind of have that as he ended up donating that money that he received for his experiences to the betterment of other people. And I think that's truly beautiful to see. And it's definitely a common theme throughout like the Asian community. Um, so that's really very wholesome and that's very wonderful to hear. And, um, but that's, that's definitely interesting as well. So I was going to touch on something that my mother mentioned. So yeah. um, the Japanese uh, were, the Canadian government tried to disperse the Japanese so that there was not a Japanese community. And my mother mentioned that people went to the prairies and people went to the prairies um, to become, they were, they were farmers often, but they were 
taken to the prairies to become sugar beet farmers. And the sugar beets were used to support the war effort. Um, mm. And if you went to the prairies, your family was more likely to stay together. So you wouldn't be separated. Some of the families that stayed closer to the coast, their the fathers had to go off and work somewhere else. And so the families were separated. And we do have some relatives that did become sugar beet farmers and they have really terrible experiences. My mother's family was very fortunate or my, my family was very fortunate that they were able to stay together and were mm -hmm. able to farm uh, and they um, built a life yeah again outside of Vancouver and they were fortunate enough to be able to come back to the coast and and rebuild there it was a lot of work but and they gave up a lot of things and they also started from nothing again in 1942 so I feel that in I I always felt that U.S. too but you could you could lose everything but you have an opportunity to build it back up again here you know, whereas in some countries you don't have that. And so my dad always said, you know, just look forward and just build and work hard and you'll get back what, and it was true. You know, it, there were times when they were very poor, they even had to hunt for food sometimes, you know, meat at, when, at first, but as um, if you work hard enough and you're willing, you're diligent at it, you will be rewarded. And we, he was rewarded in the end, you know, it, vegetables prospered and everything all the you know all this farming it gave back and it was just hard work so. yeah and I completely agree I think a lot of the time um this experience for this generation really does trickle down into the younger generations as well I know my grandfather during the partition he lived in India which was considered India at the time and after the divide he left his entire family and never came back and started his own life in Pakistan um, and really had to start from nothing all over again. And so I think that there's definitely some parallels between these experiences. And I think you can definitely see that amongst the Asian community and minority communities in general, that they really have a strong work ethic. And I respect that so much. So, and that's very interesting that you shared that as well. Yeah, well, I have a girlfriend, Sun Fu. Uh, that I walk with on Sundays, and uh, she was from Malaysia, and she had five siblings. There were six in her family, and she said the Japanese murdered all her brothers and sisters and mother, and she was because her mother had so many children. She had she was at a sitter's place because she couldn't look after all the kids and the baby as well, and she said. Uh, so, you know, people have stories like that also. And, you know, we could walk together and I said, oh my gosh, you must hate the Japanese for that. She says, no, she says, it's wartime. You know, you can't, you know, I mean, she, her whole family, her mother and, and five of her brothers were murdered, you know. And I, I just wonder, how can you forgive, you know? And mm -hmm. you, she said, I had a worse stepmother. <laughs> that really gave me a terrible time. But oh. she, she went to England and she married, found a nice guy and they came to Canada. So it all turned out good. And we talk about our good times today, how things are. But some people have gone through horrific things. And I wonder, how do they survive, you know? Mm -hmm. but, Completely. And yeah, it was similar in the partition as well. I mean, there were like 
families turning on families, neighbors turning on neighbors. And so now there's, if you go, I visited Pakistan, I believe it was two years ago, but there's still like a divide between Indians and Pakistanis because of this thing that happened so long ago. And it's like, we can't blame an entire community for that because no. they weren't, they weren't responsible for that. And I think that's similar in the case of after World War II, during World War II with the Japanese, I mean, and with Pearl Harbor and the U.S. and the internment camps. So it's definitely a pattern in history that I try to um, kind of be aware about and treat people fairly and equally because they aren't, they shouldn't be held responsible for things that they didn't do. So um, that's where, that's where it's interesting to hear your friend's story as well. So. Do you guys have anything else you want to add or anything you want to share? Well, I just want to say I'm thankful for the life I've had and, uh, and the friends I have and the family I have. Um, I, I feel very blessed. I miss my husband, but I mean, he went very quickly and, you know, at least he didn't suffer. And, uh, and I became stronger. I became stronger and I became more Japanese after he was gone because <laughs> I can embrace it a little bit more you see <laughs> yeah so, completely um thing that we didn't touch on um but you know my mother definitely had a very white passing life for <laughs> the whole time she was married and didn't struggle so much i mean she's she's fortunate that racism hasn't been a defining part of her life mm -hmm. um, and that she's looked past many of the things that have happened. That's my that father. was Naomi's dad. Oh, young. That is such a cute picture. I love it. Oh, thank you for sharing that. That's wonderful. I see the resemblance. I really do. <laughs> I believe it or not, she looks most like him. You know. Oh and yeah. In fact, uh, we have a, a cousin uh, in Toronto. And he's, uh, what do you call it, uh, LG? <laughs> CQ, yes. Yeah. And uh, he's, he's a wonderful boy. He's done well. And we're so proud of him. And uh, he's younger than Naomi, you know. But, uh, you know, uh, he looks just like Naomi. I, when I see pictures of those two together, I think they're cousins. <laughs> my goodness. <laughs> I think she's Asian looking because my other daughter it's got sort of bluey green eyes, you know, <laughs> so uh, yeah. they think she looks <laughs> bad, but I think Naomi yeah. looks like the dad, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I think that's beautiful. Yeah, go ahead, Naomi. So I was going to say, um, after my father passed away, watching my mother's life morph into this more Japanese <laughs> um, world was was very interesting to me and to my daughters to watch how she went from um, being very, I, I mentioned white passing, her name was changed from when she was younger. She was Ryoko when mm -hmm. she was younger. And then as she grew up, she took on a nickname Coke and everybody knew my mother as Coke <laughs> my life. And one day I come back and she says, I'm going by Ryoko again. This was probably in 2015. 14 or 2015 she just decided that she was going to live this more Japanese life again and her yeah. name was going to be Japanese she was spending more time at the Japanese cultural center and with the um the retired people and and the stories she shares as she mentioned a lot of them she learned from these 
senior citizens that she's been working with. Um, she eats more Japanese food. I mean, my father embraced Japanese culture and he <laughs> ate lots of Japanese food. But my mother didn't cook Japanese food when we were growing up. And I mean, a little bit, but we, um, we experienced it much more from my grandmother than from my mother. Yeah. And my mother makes a, a little bit more Japanese food, not a lot, but um, <laughs> really delicious things. And she eats more sushi and more, <laughs> more Japanese yeah. food. And it's just been an interesting transformation that I never would have guessed would happen. And it's, it's been um, just a little eye-opening. Yeah. Yeah, no, I can't imagine. I think that's very beautiful that I mean, it's unfortunate that your husband passed away, but it's beautiful that what you took out of that and kind of were able to become more of and embrace more of your identity. Um, did you ever feel that like your husband married, marrying him kind of like uh, almost like pushed down your identity or your culture, or is it just like kind of an internal thing for you? Uh, he was a domi domineering person. It was his way or you know, he, he was, uh, he, he was a very demanding man who, you know, the wife has to cook and take care of the uh, cleaning and everything else. And, uh, I went out and worked and earned the money type of attitude, but, um, yeah. Um, and when, once he went, I, I became stronger. I really did become stronger. Um, I, you know, I don't re I, I didn't have him to rely on. So I had to get stronger and stronger. He's been gone for since 2013, so seven years now. So I feel, and people have said to me, I can't believe how much, how strong you are. We didn't know that. So maybe it has made me a better, and I can do whatever I want now. I don't have to please anyone else, which exactly. is nice. I, I never realized that. I, I sometimes I have to sit back and say, "Wow, I can do whatever I want," <laughs> and I never could before. It was very true. He was very domineering in that way, you know. And I mean, that's why I didn't cook that many Japanese. He didn't really want to eat that much. He liked the roast beef and the Yorkshire pudding and the chicken stews and things yeah. like that. So I worked on, you know, it was English food he liked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, that's wonderful. I definitely can say like, you're a very wonderful and strong woman. And I think your entire identity is so powerful and it's very beautiful. And I like enjoyed talking with you about this. Um, but I guess uh, I can I have one more, one or two more questions. Um, so I guess through your experiences, what do you hope the younger generation of Asian youth will take from your story, your experiences, anything you want to say to our audience of Asian youth? Well, I just want you to be strong believe in yourself don't let what other people say to you if it's not good um you know take over on you don't don't take that into your head let them own their own uh problems themselves people who come after you are usually very unhappy people and they want to make the other people unhappy so learn to be proud of who you are and and be you know enjoy your life and not try to live someone else's life. Live your life. That's all I feel, right? <laughs> I love it. It's beautiful, perfect. Um, but yes, thank you so much, Ryoku and Naomi, for joining us for this episode. Want more of Dear Asian Girl? You can find us everywhere on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Anchor. We're on everything. Can't get enough? Subscribe, follow, rate, review to get all the updates on the latest at DAG. 
Let us know your feedback and what we can do to improve. We also can be found on Instagram. Follow us at Dear Asian Girl to receive updates about our latest episodes and fun facts about the host. We'd love for you to reach out. D-A-G, Dear Asian Girl, a podcast dedicated to share the stories of Asian girls everywhere. For the Asian girl, by the Asian girl.